Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. I love it when our students can be involved. Praise the Lord. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. The opening line of Psalm 31 makes it very clear that God is our refuge. He is our sanctuary. He's our shelter. He's our safe haven. And there are many times and many seasons in our lives when we need a refuge, aren't there? I mean, where do you turn when your only daughter, who's 15 years old, gets pregnant and runs away from home? Or, when you go to work one day, mess up royally and get fired, and it's your fault? Where do you turn after your best friend reveals your deepest secret on the internet? What do, you, what do you need when circumstances puncture your fragile fortifications and threaten to fill your life with fear and anxiety and confusion? What do you need at times like that? You need a covering, right? You need a shelter. You need, you need a refuge. You need release. You need help. <laughs> and folks, when God shows up on the scene, that's exactly what he provides. Now, some have wondered why I chose that graphic. The guy looks shocked, doesn't he? Surprised at best. And strangely enough, that's how we react when God shows up. We're surprised. We're shocked. And we shouldn't be. We should expect him. He is our Father. When God shows up, the weary find refuge. King David was cornered, bruised by adversity, and suffering from intense, low self-esteem when he penned these words in Psalm 31. Let's go back and just have a look at how he opens the psalm. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Failing in strength and wounded in spirit, David cries out to God for help. And as we now read through the rest of Psalm 31, we will discover that we also need refuge for many reasons, the first of which is distress and sorrow. We need a refuge because of distress and sorrow. Verse 9, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. David is in really bad shape here, isn't he? I mean, you let those words sink in and it's like, oh my. 
If you picked up the phone, if your phone rang after the service, uh, if your phone rang after the service and you picked it up and somebody said something like this to you, my, my eyes wasted from my soul and body. My life is spent with sorrow. You're having a bad day, aren't you? Really bad shape. But some of you know what this is like. Some of you have experienced this, this kind of a season in your life. Am I right? You understand this. In fact, some of you may be parked there this morning. This is where you are. If that's the case, I am so glad you're here today. Eyes get red from weeping. The heavy weights of sorrow press down. Depression, that serpent of despair, slithers silently through the soul's back door. Many of us know what it means to be distressed and full of sorrow. Many of us. And so did some of the apostles. Peter especially. After Jesus was arrested, you remember the story? Peter kind of follows along and somebody spots him and says, hey, certainly this man was with Jesus. Remember that? And Peter says what? Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, renouncing the Lord, the rooster crows. The Lord turns and looks straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, Peter, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. At that very moment, Peter was distressed, deeply distressed and full of sorrow because he had just denied the only person in the universe who could help him. Peter needed a refuge. And, and soon enough, the Lord provided exactly what Peter needed, but not before he experienced excruciating grief. What has been called the shortest complete story in the English language, attributed to Ernest Hemingway, is only six words long. For sale, baby shoes never worn. I, I, I cannot imagine the pain that goes along with those words. Death. Loss. Brokenness in spades. We are weary for a myriad of reasons. And we need refuge because of distress and sorrow on every side. Everywhere you turn. Distress and sorrow. Psalm 31 goes on to indicate that we also need refuge because of sin and guilt. Verse 10. My life is spent with sorrow, David said. My years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. 
And then just a few verses later, David would write in verse 17, O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Now, that recalls, that echoes the beginning of, of Psalm 31 in verse 1. Remember how it opened? In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. There, there's embarrassment in the background of this psalm. There's embarrassment. Disgrace and humiliation lurk in the shadows of this story. And with good reason. With good reason. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba, right? Many of you do. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, and he could because the palace was the highest building in the city, the best vantage point. So as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Put all of the most beautiful Hollywood leading ladies together and they got nothing on Bathsheba. She was extraordinarily beautiful. And David sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam. In other words, she's got a dad with a gun. And the wife of Uriah the Hittite, she's married. What is wrong with you? And then David sent messengers to get her, like a, a chattel, a, a piece of property. Just go get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. The daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, he slept with her. And later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. If that's not bad enough, he, he later has Uriah murdered. He has Bathsheba's husband murdered. So this is an awful story. And it, it started with just a, a glance, right? He's on the roof. He sees this beautiful woman bathing. He, uh, so a glance leads to a look, which leads to lust, which leads to go get her which leads to sleeping with her, which leads to her getting pregnant, which leads to him murdering her husband. I mean, this story just goes from bad to worse. But God. But God showed up. He showed up when Nathan, that courageous prophet, spoke to David and said, David, you're the man. You stole this little lamb. You're the man. And God showed up in that confrontation. God showed up and provided a refuge for David. David finally came to his senses and Psalm 51 is kind of the backstory to 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 2 Samuel. Psalm 51. David writes, I know my transgressions and, and my, my sin is 
always before me. It's not something I'm going to forget. I blew it. Masterfully, I blew it. Against you, you only have I sinned, O God, and done what is evil in your sight. So David knew that he had sinned. And his guilt was heavy upon him. Do you know that feeling? I know that feeling. I I am way, way, way too familiar with that feeling of guilt. The heaviness, the weight upon your life. And it's so awful when the dual weights of sin and guilt press down upon you. And it's like, ah, in that moment, oh, uh, what do I do with this? I can't, I, I can't bear it. Well, we, we know what to do, but we don't always do it, right? So we, whoa, in the moment. It's like you forgot every bit of theology you knew. You're, just, you're, you're so burdened down with this heavy weight of guilt and sin. Sin would be bad enough, but it makes you feel guilty. Or guilty would be bad enough, but then you add sin to it, and it, you've got these dual weights. What, are you, what do you do with that? Well, there's a group who thinks they know. Since 2006, a group of people uh, celebrate an important event around the new year. They call it Good Riddance Day. Good riddance. So, so <laughs> see if this works for you. Uh, participants write down an unpleasant, painful, or embarrassing memory from the past year, and then they put it through a, a commercial-grade shredder. And that's supposed to work, I guess. Or if you prefer, you can take a sledgehammer and smash your good riddance item like a cell phone or a wedding ring. The problem is, shredders and hammers can't erase embarrassing moments. Shredders and hammers can't deal effectively with sin or guilt. Smash away! Smash away your guilt And your sin remains. Only God can deal with that. Only God can take away your sin. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can deal effectively with sin and shame. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins. And sometimes that's a big if, isn't it? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Woohoo! Wow, what a great truth that is. In other words, when God shows up, when he, you know, we, we become aware of His presence, and somehow in that moment when Nathan speaks or whoever, and God shows up and we hear His voice, then the weary and the wounded and the guilty and the sinful find refuge when God shows up. We need refuge. We need refuge because of distress and sorrow, because of sin and guilt, and because of adversaries and misunderstanding. Now, I know that none of you have ever been misunderstood in your lives. You're much better communicators than me, (laughs) said with tongue planted firmly in cheek. But listen to this. Verse 11, Psalm 31. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. 
Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Oh. Sounds like David is having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. His neighbors treat him with disrespect and disapproval. He's an object of dread and fear to his closest friends. People met him on the street. They crossed over to the other side to avoid speaking to him or in the supermarket. They whispered and conspired against him. You can almost hear the hiss of the serpent in all of that. Adversaries and misunderstandings were everywhere. And what do we need most at a time like that? Well, we, we need a refuge. We need some place to hide. We need a listening voice. We need a caring heart. We need a sympathetic ear. And probably a good strong cup of coffee. Misunderstanding. Whew. We could talk a very long time about that. In 1980, an 18-year-old boy named Willie Ramirez was taken to the hospital in a coma. Family members were trying to explain to the paramedics and to the doctors what was happening to Willie, but they only spoke Spanish. The, they told the hospital staff that Willie was intoxicado, which sounds like intoxicated, but really isn't. It's much different. In Spanish, the word intoxicado usually refers to some kind of poisoning. So they were trying to tell the hospital staff that Willie had, had food poisoning. They were quite sure he had food poisoning. But when the doctors grabbed one of the hospital staff and brought him over to, to interpret what was happening, to translate for them, the staff worker told them that Willie was intoxicated. And so they treated him for an intentional overdose of drugs. Willie was misdiagnosed, and because of that misdiagnosis, he became a quadriplegic. Because of a misunderstanding, because of words that were not understood, or the heart intent was not, was not read well, he became a quadriplegic, and the Ramirez family settled in court with the hospital for $71 million because of a misunderstanding. Do you know that words have power? Words have so much power. What I say to you has power. What I say about you behind your back has even more. Adversaries and misunderstanding. Oh, I need a refuge from that. Psalm 31, 13, David said, I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. 
Stuff like that ruins lives. Stuff like that ruins churches. Stuff like that ruins pastors. There's nothing good that can come from scheming together against someone else. A brother, a sister, a mother, a father. Tortured by the whisperings of others, we feel like a wounded, bleeding mouse in the paws of a hungry cat. The thought of what people are saying is, is almost more than we can bear. You know what I'm talking about? Gossip. And then gossip gives the final shove as we're just standing there on the edge of this ragged cliff of despair. Gossip comes along, pushes you off. Discouraged people don't need more critics. They don't need judgment. They don't need a, a long explanation of what may have happened. No. They need... They need understanding. They need love. They need someone to listen to them. They need, oh, they need a refuge. That's exactly what they need. And so if you are weary or wounded this morning, I invite you to share David's refuge. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. He, he really is the only one that can provide the kind of refuge that you need for your life, for your marriage, for your relationships, for your career. He's the only one who can provide the refuge that you need. You say, well, I can't, find, I can't find a listening ear. I can't find a sympathetic ear. Nobody knows what, what I'm going through. Oh, yes, they do. There's at least one, and his name is Jesus. He's closer than a brother. He knows exactly what's happening, and he's ready to listen and give guidance and, and, and help along the way. He will be a refuge, a fortress, your deliverer if you trust him. If you're weary and wounded today, then why not share David's shelter? David's refuge never fails. Not even once. Not even once. David dropped his heavy load dozens of times and ran for cover. And he always found it in Jesus. He always found a refuge in the Father. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What a beautiful invitation this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Along the way, you will be disappointed by your family and by your friends. If you're married, you'll be disappointed by your spouse. First few months of our marriage, 
Patty thought I was a super husband. I could meet her every need. The day after we got married, we woke up and she realized that wasn't true. Your small group will disappoint you. Your church, your pastor will surely disappoint you. But Jesus never fails. And the invitation is always there. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not I might, I hope to. I will give you rest. Jesus never fails. Did you come here this morning weary or wounded? How many of you think this morning that you might have found some refuge? Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's pray together.